Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. You want to hear some good news to start things off today? There's a lot of shaking in the world going on, I understand this. But um, there's a verse I felt to start off with today, and it's um, John 15, verse 8. If you want to look at that or turn to that. If not, I'm going to read it. Um, but what John 15, 8 says, it says, By this my Father, this is in red, so Jesus is talking. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And man, that's so good to hear from Him. Just, just that phrase, that Jesus, that God, the embodiment of God as we've come to know Him, He actually wants us to thrive in life. He actually wants us to bear a lot of fruit. His desire and His will and plan and purposes, just like that scripture that we use all the time, that we hear all the time, the Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think and the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, that they are for, for good, they are for hope, a very hopeful future. So then you will call to me and I will answer you. And it's interesting, even looking back at that Jeremiah verse, it's like he's saying, I know the thoughts and plans and hopes that I have for you, which is him communicating like, hey, you really don't understand how good my forecast is for you personally. But if you would, if you came into that knowledge and you understood that, then you would call to me and I would answer you. It's, honestly, it's, like, it's almost as if somebody's praying like, hey, I'm not hearing anything from you, God. And the answer is like, well, maybe it's because you have a misconception of my thoughts and plans and intentions for you. So you're looking down a dead-end road, hoping to hear my voice shouting from down there, but my voice is coming from a very hopeful place, from the place of a good father who wants you to thrive in this life. And not only in the age to come, not only when you go into heaven, but also in the here and now. But the, but the truth is there with Jesus saying it, thank you, in John 15, 8, he says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And it's like, he's literally communicating to us this good news that he actually wants us to thrive in life in such a way that we point people to their Father. Like, this is how God is glorified, that you succeed. And I'm not talking about, like, wealth necessarily, but it's definitely, that's definitely something that is an aspect of success. But, like, righteousness, but peace and joy, the essence of what the kingdom is. Having peace, having joy, having abundance, having a good marriage, having good friendships, having a good relationship to your, to your family, to your kids. It's like our life should be successful in the ways that people see that we have peace, that we have joy, that we are winning. And by this, the Father is glorified. Why? Because it points people to the source. Because it's not about us, right? We enter into this reality because of what He's paid for. And I love that. See, you know, John 15, where He's saying that in verse 8, it's Jesus saying these, these beautiful uh, sayings about who God is, about who He is, the true vine, and His Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, He takes away. In other words, He prunes, 
there's a cutting, there's a trimming, there's a pruning at times. Those branches that aren't producing, but it's so that you can grow and so that you can thrive. So even you now, if you're feeling that trimming, if you're feeling the pruning, it's not this a punishment mentality. It's like I'm actually wanting to establish you more in me so that you grow and thrive even more and you will point more of your lost brothers and sisters to who I truly am. It's like the invitation from God is step into my goodness, be led of my goodness. See, David understood this, the king. Arguably one of the greatest kings of all time. He, he finishes Psalm 23 with, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell, I will abide, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Didn't even think about that for today, but that's what we're talking about. But it's like, he was so assured of God's goodness and his plan and his purposes for him as the good shepherd that he's like, I'm convinced, surely, surely, goodness and mercy, they will follow me all the days of my life. And the goodness of God is pursuing me and will be overtaking me my whole life. I will not be um, chasing after it like a donkey chasing a carrot in the cartoons, if that analogy makes sense. But it's like, I'm not pursuing the goodness of God. I am abiding and living in God. And so his goodness is constantly constantly is overtaking me. It's chasing me down. You know, you have powerful spiritual things that are hunting you down. They're hunting you. They're coming after you. They're coming for you, man. You're talking about the demons, brother? No. I'm talking about the goodness and mercy of God. And there's a mindset shift that steps into accepting that which is finished in order to step into that reality. And that's what the New Testament's about. That's what the whole gospel's about. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. You have been given everything pertaining. You have been. Like, it's already been given to you. It's pursuing you. You have to learn to accept and receive everything God's given. So Jesus is talking about that, this pruning and saying, abide in me. As the branch can't bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, and you are the vine, the branches. Whoever abides in me bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and withered, thrown into the fire. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Power. That's power. You will ask If you're abiding, if you're living in me, if you're abiding in this reality, you'll ask the things that you desire because then your desires will be his desires because you're living in him. And when you're in that level of alignment, the things you ask for manifest in the earth. And now we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Teach us to pray, they said to Jesus, right? Luke 11, they said, teach us how to pray. Pray like this, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, separate from darkness. May your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. It's the same broken record that he constantly said ever since he mentioned what even a church is, the gates of hell will not prevail. It was all about an invasion. It was all about a takeover. The abundance and life flow of heaven coming in through his people into the earth. So how do we pray? Pray that heaven comes in and through us into the earth. And Jesus is here in in, in John 15, saying the word abide several, several times. And to be honest, like I'm, I've never been the sharpest knife in the drawer, but abide has always been just a religious term to me. That you pretend like you know what it means, but you don't know what it means. 
Oh, you know, how you doing? Oh, glory, glory, brother. Just abiding. Abiding in this goodness. And sometimes you just got to pull over the car and say, hey, man, can you tell me what abiding means? What does abide mean? <laughs> it means to live. It means to actually live. Hmm. I've termed abide today living in the house that he already built. In other words, like, you mean you got to build it, right? You got to work it up. You got to pay for it. Like, no. I go to prepare a place for you. That whole thing is like, he's already built the house for you and you fit perfectly in it. You just get to move into it. Now you get to design it a little bit, you know, with your creative flow of who you truly are, you know, and who he's created you to be. But to abide in God is to rest in the house that he's already built for you and to be in there. And see, then we hear, see all these parallels, parallels and, and all these parabolic things written in, you know, the Church of Philadelphia in Ephesians 3 where he says, you'll be like a pillar in the house of God that doesn't go in and out. In other words, you'll be like a pillar. You'll be established in his house. That doesn't mean you'll, you'll be a homebody hermit that never leaves, you know what I mean? Because the gates of hell can't prevail. So it's not about that. It's about you'll be so established in your true lineage, in your true person, in your true nature. The fall of Adam and Eve, like the, the, the fall, everything that came in through the fall in Eden, Right? That changed the lineage of humanity until the last Adam comes and, and flips it on its head and brings us back into our true lineage. Everything we inherited from that side, we don't have to inherit anymore. That's called abiding in what we are supposed to inherit. It's the way we live. It's who we are. And Jesus is here in John 15, like a broken record, saying, learn to abide. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. You can't bear any fruit unless you're in me because you're not who you truly are unless you're living your identity inside of mine in mine inside of yours. You're cut from me. You're, pulled, you're made from me. You know what I'm saying? You're created, we're created in his image, it says in the book of Genesis. We are the imagers of God. You know, And we can bark like dogs, but that's not abiding in the lion of who he truly is. We've just learned to bark in this world, but in reality, the lions, they have to learn, oh, that's not what I'm like. That's not who I am. This is who I am. We had just never seen it before until he came and manifested it. The word made flesh. The Logos, as it says. The description of everything who God is was revealed so that we would see Him as He is and we would know His name, actually. That's truly what it is. Hmm. <clears throat> Jesus said in John 14, 9, before He gives this whole thing about abiding, you have to abide in me, and if you do, you'll bear much fruit, and my Father will be glorified. Philip asks Jesus, would you show us the Father and it'll be sufficient for us? To which Jesus in John 14, 9 says, Hey, have I been with you so long, yet you haven't known me, Philip? He who's seen me has seen the Father also. And it's, it's, um, it's very, a very interesting point. If we're going to abide in who he truly is, we have to see Jesus and see God. We have to see him as he truly is. And Jesus is saying, like, Hey, if you've seen me, you've seen your Father. The one in whose image you're created. If you've seen me, you've seen it. You've seen him. That's the reality of what's going on here. Like, Jesus said these things, I and the Father are one. And he goes on, even in John 14, and he starts talking about praying. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In John 14, um, verse 13. So it's very similar of John 14. He's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you ask anything in my name, which is a very important quote for us today, 
it'll be done for you. Then he goes to John 15 and he says, you have to learn to abide in this truth, abide in this reality. And if you do, you will bear much fruit that the Father may be glorified. So there's something to abiding him in him, seeing who he is and actually knowing his name that changes the entire game. And so if, if there's this big, big of a deal that is made concerning what it means to abide or living in the house that he's already built, then I'm somebody who really wants to understand what does he mean by that? How can I practically implement that into my life so that I can step into the success that he has for me, that I can bear much fruit in this life and in the age to come, and I can be effective in actually doing what he said, go and create disciples. You know, Because it's not going and passing out tracts, hey, you're all going to go to hell unless you join my club. It's something much different than that. It's people should actually see the sons and daughters of God and actually want what they have. Not in a way of like coveting, you know what I'm saying? I wish I had a fancy car like you, you know? But it's like, but actually seeing what they actually have, what they're abiding in, what they're living in. There's, there's something, you know, it's been called apologetics, which I just still don't, uh, you know, I don't fully know why. But there's, there's, there's a verse it's written by the Apostle Paul, really by the Holy Spirit, that says something to the extent of, and you've all probably heard it, you know, always being ready to give an answer concerning the hope that's in you. And it's kind of been made this like pressure thing. You, you better know how to argue theology. You better know what you believe so you can actually stand up and test what, you know what I mean? It's just like, and that's apologetics, and we can all take courses in it online if you haven't already, and you know, whatever, but to debate people, right? Um, but really, if you just read the verse, it's like always be ready to give an answer for this hope. Like, in other words, you should have such a hopeful, positive outlook and view on life that you should be called to question over it. Amen. You, ever, you ever seen somebody that's just lit up and you're just like, what, what's got you all fired? What's, why are you in such a good mood? Yeah. Like, what's your deal, man? Yeah. Like James's intro today. Yeah. Oh, you'll get it eventually. You'll be negative and you'll see how bad this is for the company eventually. It's like, no, I, I feel like God has us here. We're going to team up and, and work together and we're going to overcome this and it's going to be good. Oh, oh well, you're, yeah, you're young and optimistic. You don't know how business works. You know what I'm saying? Well, who's abiding in what? You know what I mean? It's, just, it's, it's one of those things where it's just like always you have this hopeful view that, that somehow you believe, Romans 8, that all things work for the good for those who are called according to the purpose of God, who love him. And it's like this, this reality that's like, no matter what gets thrown in my path, the Lord is going to flip it on its head as long as I'm entrusting, as I'm trusting him. And boy, that's important. It's so important not to see God in this um, schizophrenic way that he's both the, the good cop and the bad cop. Because if you see him in this skewed way, which is, which is birthed out of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he's good and evil, then you will expect both good and evil from God, and you'll end up in the same folly that Job got rebu rebuked for. Well, he, blessed be the name of the Lord, he gives and he takes away. He does both. He's both. Obviously, we saw the end of that book. The Lord comes to Job and says, who's this darkening counsel without any knowledge? You're saying things you have no clue about and you don't know me, to which Job repents and he says, oh my goodness, I'd heard about you, but now I've actually seen you. And everything in his life turns around instantaneously by seeing the, the one. 
he realizes he's been attributing all of Satan's tactics and attacks to God, right? Last week was a meaty one. It's a lot, but, uh, you know, um, he realizes that and says, oh man, that, that wasn't you. I heard about you and taught about you, but now I've seen you. And it's like, yeah, oh, Bob, oh, and then Job, everything was restored. His fortune, his family is doing, do, 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 and all these things happen for him. It's like, interesting. So something to, un, to being unlocked and seeing God as he truly is, learning to live and abide in what he wants for you. That's, that's interesting. I'll tell you one of the most famous, beautiful, poetic psalms there is. It used to be known as a, a psalm of exorcism, you know, since it's almost Halloween, you want to talk about some, some de- demons. Some exercising. Um, it's Psalm 91. It's, it's such a beautiful psalm, but speaking of abiding or living in God, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, of Shaddai. You know, literally means God of the wilderness. I know it's been taught a bunch of different ways, but that's, it's, yeah, that's what it means. And, uh, anyhow, so, so the God of the wilderness, the one, the one who, as you guys were singing, led the people of Israel across the wilderness in a cloud by day and a fire that hovered over them at night like supernatural streetlights. Their shoes never wore out and never let them get sick. All these beautiful things. He routed giants before him, all this stuff. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Like, I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge. He's the, he's the, he's the fortress, the 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 castle, the, the house that I live in. Sounds like Jesus talking, doesn't he? Abide in me and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit and the Father will be glorified. Psalm 91 is literally talking about learning to abide fully in Jesus, in God. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you'll take refuge. You won't be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence and darkness, the, the destruction that lays waste at noonday. All of these, I think I did this maybe a, two years ago, a year and a half ago. We bought that book. The church paid for it because, you know, it's like a real expensive textbook called um, the Dictionary, Dictionary of Deities and Demons in the Bible. It's a really cool book. But it takes like all the names of like, all the gods from the, from the ancient Near East, um, the Phoenician deities, the, the Egyptians, the, everything that's in the Bible, um, all kind of the, the pagan historical stuff from, from the Ugaritic text, like everything and combines it all and it pulls all the words through the scriptures and through the Bible and shows the reference that a lot of these things are. And all of these things, terror by night, arrow that flies by the day, the pestilence stalks in dark. These are all different names that are found in that book. It's really cool. It's really neat. <clears throat> and um, yeah. But not for today. It's just kind of a fun thing. And, um, or not for today's message, I should say. Very much for today. But this Psalm 91, it's, it's naming all of these demonic beings and things. These are all names for different things that are in that book, which is really cool to see their root. <clears throat> the different names that he's using of the Lord, the different names that, he's, that are written there. It's basically saying, who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, all of the demonic haunts of the earth that are spewed over the earth, they have no effect on you. You contend with all of it. He goes on and says, a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. It won't come near you. Like, wow. 
So is that parabolic or is that the, the eternal word of God spoken to anyone who will believe it can step into it? Yeah, it is. Imagine if we took every bit of this serious, man. Yeah. I, we are called to. This is what abiding literally re, really means. If Jesus stepped into your bedroom this morning and, and, and spoke a, a verse for you, spoke one of these verses, you know, a thousand will fall at your side and ten thousand in your right hand, who would be courageous to step into something sketchy, knowing that it wouldn't come near you? I think all of us would. But what's the difference in him stepping into your room, manifesting in front of you and saying it, and the actual Bible, which is his word, coming alive and you reading it? And it's in its context. You're not taking out of context and laying your hands on a Cadillac saying it's going to be yours or some weird thing on TV. You know what I'm saying? But I'm saying when the Bible says some of this stuff to you, why can we not take it as if God is speaking to us? Or why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? You know, the, 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 the priests in the tabernacle, in the old temple, it was pitch black in there except for that little seven... Seven candlestick, that menorah that had to be lit every day, morning and night. And the incense that had to be there. And then on top of that, they had the showbread on the other side of the room. And they couldn't eat the showbread without the light of the candle because they couldn't see what they were eating. They couldn't see where they were going. And, and that's the Spirit of God, the sevenfold Spirit of God. You know, that's in the book of Revelation. That's Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. And it's like, that's who that is causing the Word to be seen as it truly is so that we can actually ingest it and take it on. So that's, we're called to live this whole thing. It is your life. Yeah. <clears throat> Only with your eyes you'll look and see the reward of the wicked. A thousand on your right, ten thousand on your left. This is the answer. Because you've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. Sounds just like Jesus. Because you've chosen to abide. How do, we, how do I become an X-Men? How do I become these Jedi Knights that, that could slay a thousand? It's just like, hey... The Bible's talking about something more real than all those little parabolic stories. It's saying that if you make the Lord your refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, this is your inheritance. Sounds like he's saying indestructibility. Well, that's controversial. Yeah, I know. But Jesus said it. I don't, no one's taking my life from me. I'm laying my life down. But I also take it back up. The Apostle Paul wrote stuff like that. Like, I don't know which one I'm going to choose. It's better for me to go and be with him, but for here I get to bear more fruit. And I don't know which one I'm going to choose. Like, what do you mean you're going to choose? They're hunting to kill you, Paul. They're going to try to kill you. It's going to be up to the Romans or whoever. It's like, but he's like, it's, it's going to be up to who, what I choose when I choose to go. It's like, that's in our Bible, y'all. They talked like this. These people weren't dying. These people weren't dying of cancer and tumors and you know what I mean? You know, these guys, they had, they had to be killed. They had to be taken out because they weren't going to get, they weren't going to die by the fall, by the things which came in from the fall. Anyhow, because you've made the Lord your refuge, your most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you nor any plague your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. You mean that's part of living the Christian walk? The angelic surrounding your life and family? It's like it actually is. It's actually very much a part of it. Hmm. In their hands, they'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Remember Satan tried to get Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple? Use that verse on him? Yeah, that's out of context, buddy. I'm not laying my hands on the Cadillac. That's out of context, and I'm not jumping off the pinnacle of the temple. All right, nothing wrong with Cadillacs. Hope you all get one. That's fine if you like them. I don't care. Um, I'd rather have an F-450 like Shaquille O'Neal has, one of those big old deals, you know? Might lay my hands on one of those if I see one, though. No. 
joking. <clears throat> you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Here's the, here's the climax of this verse. This is God speaking about this person stepping into this indestructible life of abiding in him. Because he set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. That's underlined in my Bible. You, uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea um, to do the same. It's like, because he set his love upon me, I will deliver him. I, I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer. I'll be with him in time of trouble. I'll deliver him and I will honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the will of the Lord for everyone in here and everyone that hears this. And, but the key is there. We're looking at Jesus saying, hey, abide, 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 abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Without it, you won't. But if you do, you will. And listen, this is how the Father will be glorified if you abide in me. You will step into the life of the family and they will see what's different. It's the life. They will want what you have and it's not you. It's the source that you'll be able to point them to. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you because you're abiding in me. All these things that he's saying, if you ask in what? In my name. There's a key right there, y'all. There's a key to Psalm uh, 91. He set his love upon me. I will set him on high because he has known my name. That's it. You will ask in my name. If two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am amongst, amongst you. I am with you. Think about the, all this stuff. See, they understood what this meant. He will call upon me. He will, be, he will live this indestructible life. I will always be with him, no matter what demonic is against him and no, no matter what humans against him. A thousand or ten thousand in the military or the demonic stuff that surrounds him, I will always be with him. He will always overcome. Why? Because he knows my name. That's the one. That's, that's the point. Why did Job get rebuked? Satan came to God, right? Nah, 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 nah. He tried to accuse God. Strike Job and he'll curse you. God doesn't strike. He doesn't curse. He doesn't, he doesn't destroy. He looks at Satan like, you're not going to entice me to be like you. He's in your hands. He's like, he's in the realm which you have the keys to. All of Job's family, all of his sons and daughters, they were involved with a, with a demonic, idolic, is idolic worship of fallen deities where they, they went through a circular festival and Job was always trying to make atonement for his kids who were playing on the dark side. You know, they were abiding under something else. Satan came and he attacked all of them, to which Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord, he gives and he takes away. But the problem was that phrase, the name of the Lord, he didn't know the name of the Lord. Because he attributed to the name of the Lord that he gives and takes away, that he's both good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. That's the knowledge he had, which he got rebuked for at the end of the book. And the name of the Lord, if you're a Jewish person in biblical days or even, even you know, today, you know, um, you know, it's if you sometimes some of your Bibles will say this, but the name of God is is undescribable. It's, it's unpronounceable. Uh, you see that little Y-H-W-H, that Yahweh, that 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 description. It's, it's like they don't even pronounce the name. If you listen to a lot of contemporary Jewish music or like Modest Yahoo or something like that, they call it Hashem. 
They call him Hashem. That's what they call God, which Hashem means the name. So there is no name that they're even allowed to pronounce because his name's it's high and it's unpronounceable. And it's, so they call him Hashem, if you've heard that before, and sometimes you'll see it. But Hashem means the name. And so the name of the Lord, you know, we sing the song, blessed be the name of the Lord and all these things. The name of the Lord, it literally communicates the presence and full person of who God is. And it was a title given to the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, who we on this side of the tracks have come to understand. That's the person of Jesus Christ. That's the one, right, in Genesis 32 that wrestled Jacob. After he had met him, Jacob had, Jacob had seen him, laid his head upon a rock, right? Genesis 28, if you remember that stuff, called the rock Bethel because it's all the angels ascending and descending upon a ladder and, and a person standing there, which is an embodiment, which is Yahweh, which is Jesus, which was the name of the Lord. And he understood that heaven was in that place where he was. You have to understand, you have to think, hopefully it's not too much, but the, the Jewish mind and the understanding, especially through the Old Testament, that, that God was not embodied. He was embodied, but he's also not embodied. He's everywhere. He's bigger than time and space. He's, he, he binds all things together. He's all over. He's omnipresent, you know. But also there was one character in the Bible where God would come into a physical body. Gideon saw him in the book of Judges. It was the angel of the Lord who called him. That's why when he disappeared in front of Gideon, Gideon was like, oh, I'm going to die because I've seen God face to face. He understood that angel was God himself. That was, the embodied, that was God embodied. You know? There's a reason Caiaphas tore his robes when Jesus was on trial, right? I think it was Matthew 26. And he says, tell us, are you the son of God? Are you the Christ? And Jesus says, yeah, it is as you say. You said it. That's what he told him. But then he added something. He, then he says, and you will see the Son of Man coming upon the clouds of heaven. To which Typhus tears his robes and he freaks out and blasphemy, let's crucify him now. Like that was the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. Because Jesus was announcing himself as that cloud-riding human figure in Daniel 7 where the Jews had... What, what they knew, the Godhead. They literally had a Godhead, which was the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man coming together in one vision in the book of Daniel. So Caiaphas is like, boom, that's, you're saying you're that Son of Man, you're that God coming, you're part of the Godhead. Like This was part of Jewish theology. And it's funny, until the first century AD, about 100 years after Jesus was crucified, they made a doctrine that says there is no, there is no Godhead Hero Israel, the Lord God is one, really just so that they could have apologetics to argue against Christians and say, like, no, it can't be the Son of God and God and all those things. But, but this, was, this was the importance of understanding the one who was the name of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. My name is in him. You guys remember some of the things that's important to see, like Exodus 23. When God was speaking to um, the Israelites, he's speaking to Moses, and he's, and he's literally telling him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send the angel before you to guard you in your way, Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Don't rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So be careful to obey his voice and all that I say. Like his voice or what you say? You catch that, what's going on there? That's God literally saying, he's like, hey, the angel of the Lord is going to move and he's going to clear out the promised land for he was talking about himself. Joshua ends up running into him after Moses died. Remember that? Yeah. Joshua was scouting out across the Jordan. They were fixing to go and get, they were fixing to go and get um, Jericho. And Joshua walked up on him. Yeah. 
a man with a sword drawn, and Joshua flexed on him, bowed up to him. He said, who are you? Are you with us? Are you with our adversaries? And that man with a sword out says, neither one. I'm not with you or your adversaries, but as the commander of the angelic army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua hit the, hit the dust, bowed before him. And the angel of the Lord, Jesus, the, the embodiment of God, as it says in Colossians in the New Testament, stood there and he said, take off your shoes because now you're in a holy ground. That was him. When God has a body and he has feet, he has a name. He is the name. Now we know the name Jesus. That's him. And that was him. Jesus is the name of the Lord. But it's just like that John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We say this all the time, but it's so very important because like in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the communication of who God truly is. And he was with God in the beginning, and he was God in the beginning. Jesus is God and was with God, but he is the Logos, the communication. He is the Word of the Lord. He is the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is who we abide in. And that's why when you look back a lot of these Psalms and stuff and Proverbs, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. And it's just like, oh no, I need to go run under like a banner that says Jesus on top of it or YHWH so I'm, I'm safe. You know what I mean? You, you, but the, parabol- the picture of what was all prophesied in this Old Testament is like the name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's like, hey, it's just like Psalm 91. When you learn to truly abide in him, you're, you're good. And it doesn't matter your geographic location. It's like you're learning to abide in the Lord. That is the strong tower. That is the house. That is the place of security. It goes on in Proverbs 18, 11, that a rich man's wealth is, is his strong city. And like a high wall in his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. It's, in other words, like people think that success comes from the things of the world, but true success It's like what we've been talking about, to know, Jeremiah 9, to know and understand the Lord. Because when you understand Him, when you see Him, when you know Him, then you know His name. Yes, that Psalm 91, man, this indestructible psalm, this beautiful poem about dwelling and abiding in the Lord, and God coming at the end of it and speaking into it, Because this is because He set His love upon me, and because he's known my name. In other words, we are personal, but he actually knows who I am. And because he sees me as I truly am, and not as this bipolar deity, or not as somebody else's God, or not who flesh and blood says that I am, because he's entered into this reality, and he sees me without that filter, he abides in the strength and power and authority of heaven, and he bears that fruit into the earth. This is the point. This is the point for all of us. This is what we're called to actually live in and live under and flow. All of our life is called to flow out of. I think that's good. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Yeah, there's, I don't think I need to do the angel of the Lord, the Trinity in the Old Testament. Um, The point of of all of it is, is that Jesus actually is the point. And when he's communicating these things in John 14 to Philip, he's asking a great question. Thank God for Philip and his question. Show us the Father, you know, 
and we'll and it'll be sufficient <laughs> that'll be good enough just show them to us i don't know what he thought was going to happen if he thought jesus was going to grab him by his hair like he did ezekiel's dreadlocks and pull him up into the spirit realm and you know what i mean like and impart a vision to him you know what i'm saying like show him but his answer is like hey have i been with you so long it's like what I imagine how, how often were these guys creeped out by him, stuff he would say. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, cre- it creeps me out sometimes in a good way. Have I been with you so, so, so long and you haven't known me? And you're just like, whoa. You know, you're looking at this human, but there's words coming out of him that feel like they're ancient, that they came before time and space. Well, you're 32 years old, man. Have I been with you so long? You know, you haven't known me. If you've seen me, you've seen him. There's no God behind Jesus' back. None. There isn't. The Father and the Son, there's no variance or shadow and turning. Throw the Spirit in there too. There's no variance. There's no shadow. There's no turning. There's no one that's different than the other. One wanted to punish you and throw you in your hell, but, but luckily the other one said, no, please don't do it. You know what I'm saying? The two of them voted the one mean one out of the... You know what I'm saying? It's like all these weird things that we've come to believe... But, but, but our, the, the importance of theology, and I, gosh, I actually kind of despise that word. It, every, every time you hear it, it's, it's something annoying that's going to happen, uh, you know, or be said or spoken. I like to be, you know, but it's like Jesus is the purity of theology. You know what I'm saying? Theology is like the belief of who God truly is, everything that's about him, everything about who he truly is, is the most important thing because it is the key that unlocks the whole map. That's the entire book when we see him as he truly is. If you wouldn't see it in Jesus, you won't see it in the Father. You know what I'm saying? It's just like if, if you wouldn't see it in Him and see Him there, then it wouldn't happen in your Father. And the beauty about that is in studying and seeing this, this Bible and seeing this truth, like, you know, like James literally said, like literally looking into this perfect law of liberty, this freedom of the Holy Spirit that's come through this life that Jesus has laid down and given back and given to us and all this beautiful stuff. It's like we see it and we're actually a doer. We, we enact it. We live it. We're not like people that look into a mirror and then walk away and forget who we're like. It's like we got to stay in it. And all these, this reality about abiding, learning to abide and, and not be in condemnation, that there is no separation to him, this understanding that like he's not, he's not frustrated with us and angry with us, all these faces we put on him, if you don't see it in Jesus, it's not in him, you know? And when we're learning to abide, it means the fruit of His Spirit, His nature, His person, the, the love, the joy, the peace, the kindness, the goodness. Anything that violates that, it's a sin. No, it's not a sin. It means you're actually not living in your true identity, which means you're not abiding in who you truly are. You know what I mean? And does it condemn you? Like if you lose your cool or if you have an issue or if you're stressed out or if you have not It's like it only condemns you if you allow it to cause you to separate yourself from God. But the beauty of the goodness of God is like we can take all this stuff to Him and thank Him for what He's done and what He's given to us. I realized I showed my butt, tail, butt. You say butt, right? I showed my butt today and I wasn't wasn't myself and I know that's not you, so I know that it's not me and I thank you that you're bringing me and I have the ability to see this because a year ago I'd acted like that and I wouldn't even thought twice about it. But now I realize it and I want to lay that down. I don't want to be there. Would you help me walk through it? And he might just say something to you. I mean, just give you an example that may have happened with me one time. But um, it might be something of like, hey, buddy, it's fear that causes you to be somebody you're not. 
but I'm not a fearful person. No, you're not. But when you give in to fear or you let stress or you let pressure or you let anxiety invade into your life without processing it through me, it causes you to become in your flesh and then you act in a way that's not your true identity. I heard that. I mean, that, he said that to somebody one time. But it's just, it's just like, oh, so you're missing the mark or you're show, being, a, being a way you're not wanting to be. You're not wanting to be. It's like, oh, I'm condemned and God doesn't like me. It's like, no, God's allowing you to see it for what it is. And you can actually thank him for like, okay, there's triggers that I'm actually not trusting you. That I'm not resting in you. And that's the issue. So it's like, so boom. So trust in me, rest in me. Call on me and I will answer you. Understand that I, I know the thoughts and intentions that I have to. You think I think bad of you, but it's not true. You think I don't have hopeful process, uh, you know, view and forecast for your future, but that's not true. Because when you know that, you'll call to me and I, answer, and I will answer you. You will process your mind and your heart and your thoughts with me on a thought-by-thought basis. And your mind will be renewed and you'll step out of that old nature. Psalm 9, verse 10, I'll close with that. Those who know your name, the essence, person, and, and place of God will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. How about that? Those who know your name will put their trust in you. Jesus, the name of the Lord, but it's everything that he is. He is the word made flesh. When we come to see him as he truly is, consistent, light, goodness, the fruits of his spirit, why don't people put their trust in him? Rightfully so, if you thought God was that bipolar, like, good cop, bad cop, could be the drunk dad that you show up, you know, that's, that's nice to you when you hit a home run that day, you know, throws you on his shoulder and telling all his buddies about you, or he might just be angry and ticked off because he had too many uh, Dos Equis, you know what I mean, that night, you know, like, you don't know who you're going to get, but God's not him, God's not this, you feel? It's like, he's, he's consistent, he's kind, he's gentle. Come to me, all those who are weary and who are heavy laden. What are they weary and heavy laden for? Pleasing a God that doesn't exist. You know, Matthew 11, it's like, it's like and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your soul. Oh, you can rest in Him because you can trust Him. You'll understand that my yoke, it's easy. My burden, it's light. And you'll find rest for your soul to be around. You can actually come and be comfortable around me and unload and offload. Vulnerability. David, he puts a table in front of my enemies. I sit down and eat. Like he, It's that much rest because he has me that covered. Even if my enemy's right there, I take my armor off and I sit down. It's like there's this, this vulnerable place of rest that I can be in around him. And that is to truly abide in God. When we're in that rest, when we're in that peace, we're in him. That's him. And he desires us to know him. And we, he desires us to understand what it means to know his name, which isn't just a, ta- a name. You know, we're baptized into that name, the fullness of that name. Jesus said it, go baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He is that name, the fullness of deity and body. And he showed us that reality. Because then you see all the way through the New Testament, they're baptized people in the name of Jesus. You know, he's, he's the one who the name was in. He's the one when God told Moses, like my name, the angel's going to lead you, but listen to him. He will not pardon your iniquities. And that, that's another thing. The Pharisees like, who can, who can forgive sins but God alone? You know what I mean? But, in, you know, in Exodus 32, when he's, when he's announcing that name, it's not that he won't pardon your, he, he, won't forgive for, he won't forgive you, but he has the capability to. 
But he's telling Moses and the boys, like, hey, follow him. He's not going to pardon. If you want to go a different way, he's not going to cover you to go a different way. You've got to go his way. That's just for anybody that had questions on that verse right there. I know there'll probably be a couple. But it's like, hey, he won't pardon you. It's like, yeah, he, he, he forgives all things. But it's like, he was telling the Israelites, follow the angel of the Lord, the name. Hashem is in him. Like my name, my essence, my being. I'm embodied leading you. Follow him. Don't go your own way your own way because you're going to get smashed follow him you won't get smashed in the new king james um, all right well i thank you for your truth and your reality of who you are and the goodness of who you are lord and so we ask we thank you that we are inside of you and you're inside of us and that you are training us all and teaching us all and that no one's disqualified like we have this beautiful gift of repentance to make a turn if we need to have a mind change and it's as if the wrong path we went never happened we have the ability to turn and follow you lord i ask that 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 level of integrity in life would be found in your body and in your and in your family and that we would step as representatives of those who live according to your will by abiding in your name i thank you for your will for all of us to to shine to thrive the abundant life you've called us to live in order that our dad would be glorified. And, and Father, we, we ask that hallowed and glorified be your name in us and through us. I thank you for raising us as a family um, to know you and to step into the family business.